when you look at Justin Herbert's average depth of target last year for a quarterback of his arm talent, it looks pretty low. Part of that is because, you know, a team that isn't as aggressive is going to throw past the sticks on most third and longs. But Justin Herbert didn't have to do that since you knew Staley was going to go for basically every fourth and one or fourth and two. Welcome to Props and Hops, a podcast pursuing the best in betting and beer and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Matt Landis, joined this week by NFL analysts Tage Seth and Arjun Menon, co-hosts of the new podcast, Take the Points. Tage and Arjun, welcome to Props and Hops. Thanks so much for having us here today, Matt. Really excited to, to talk with you today. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for reaching out and thanks for giving us a, a shout on, the, on our new pod. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's an exciting new entry into the scene. Happy to dig into that. And before we go down that path, want to give the audience a chance to match a voice to the name, so to speak. Uh, so I guess, Tage, I'll tee you up first for this question, but it, curious for both of your input. Just when it comes to your guys' backgrounds, how did you guys get to know each other? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so how we got to know each other was I was at University of Michigan in my sophomore year. Um, And I was part of the Football Analytics Society there, which is like a club where we kind of get together and talk football and and look at some data. And Arjun emailed me one time and he was like, oh, like, I I know you're a part of this club. And I just wanted to like, let you know, like, I've, I'm like really into football. Like I have these, these videos I made on YouTube and everything, like kind of recapping the off season and, and stuff like that. And so I, I looked them over and I was like, well, these are like, He's like really good. Like he he really knows like what he's talking about. Um, so you know we exchanged numbers after the email and just like went from there. And and now we we talk football all the time. Yeah, the best the best part about it was like I was in the college dorms my freshman year, and this was like the first semester after the summer of COVID. So I was like at that time Michigan wasn't really allowing us to do anything. So I had a lot of time on my hands, and so. When I saw the club and that they had a website, um, I really saw it as an opportunity to like showcase my work. So I was really appreciative of the club and especially Tage, who read over a lot of my work that like I had a place to publish some of my thoughts about my own team, the Chargers or like the NFL in general. So it was a great outlet for me. And you know, I found one of my best friends in Tage and someone to talk football with on a daily basis. That's great. And I'm a Chargers fan as well. So we'll get into that over the course of this conversation for sure. But when you guys talk about meeting up uh, at your college, the University of Michigan, one of my first thoughts is that Michigan is a an occasional rival of my alma mater, USC, when both schools are doing what they should be doing and competing for conference titles and from time to time meeting up in the Rose Bowl. A bit of a friendly rivalry there, but I also went to high school in Vista, California with Leon Hall, a former great at Michigan who went on to have a long NFL career. Um, So between uh, Leon's ties there and then I've got to say second to USC's fight song, I would say. I know I'm biased here, but I I love the Michigan fight song as well. So nothing like seeing USC and Michigan butting heads whenever that's possible in the college football landscape. 
I'll yeah. go ahead and uh, note that you guys also both have internship experience with Pro Football Focus. Arjun, I believe you're currently there, and Tej, you were there last year, if I've got that down correctly. And if that's the case, moving on from the USC-Michigan talk, when it comes to your approach to the NFL, how has that been shaped by your experience with PFF? Mm-hmm. Yeah, PFF definitely kind of changed the way that, you know, I, I thought about a lot of aspects of football and just doing like data analysis as a whole. Like, you know, I, I learned a lot about like different biases that you can run into when you're doing this type of analysis with, with data uh, through, you know, talking through, uh, talking to people at PFF, like Eric Eager and Ben Brown and Brad Spielberger. Like they, they really shaped the way that I thought about different things like survivorship bias or selection bias uh, or or other stuff like that, and you know, it was a really good experience to kind of you know talk to talk to all these people who have been doing this for a long time and have you know access to all these different things, and they really just you know helped me grow as a football analyst while I was there. Yeah, and for me, I was always an admirer of PFF from afar, even before I joined the company. I think the thing that I really like about PFF and how it's like helped me in like understanding football at a a deeper level is like people really only only associate pff with like its grading system and like the grades it gives to players but really um beyond like that general outlook pff has done a lot for me in like advancing the way i think about football through a lot of the articles i read and like some of the names tages mentioned like talking football with these really intelligent people like some of my favorite articles have been like understanding the coverage versus pass rush debate or something like Eric, one of Eric Eager's um, articles from this past year, which was like the idea of perfectly blocked runs, which kind of helps you understand why offenses like to run the ball so much, even when it's not that optimal or that efficient. So beyond the grades, I think PFF has done a great job of like furthering concepts in football and looking at things from a new perspective. I like that point about the ground game, because in the analytics community, seemingly everybody thinks the answer is that whatever the optimal amount of passing is relative to running, it should skew more heavily toward passing. But Arjun, to the point you just brought up, uh, what might people be overlooking when it comes to some hidden value and not entirely losing the commitment to pounding the ball on the ground? Yeah, I think so. What Eric found and I, what I thought was really interesting is like a perfectly blocked run is one of the most efficient plays in all of football. Like if an offense only ran perfectly blocked plays, it would be the most efficient play in football. So when someone like Kyle Shanahan only dials up early down runs, you can kind of understand when it's like when everything goes right, when all of his planning and all the blockers execute their matchup correctly, the offense will gain about like um, 0.3 points per play on a given rush. So that concept of like how like a perfectly blocked run does so well I can understand how like offensive coordinators will want to run the ball and how they think that sets up things like play action. And that's like kind of the hidden value in running. But the flip side is when, when one person fails to execute their assignment, then running the ball is, is really not efficient at all. And in fact, offenses lose about like negative 0.2 points on a given rush. When you mention Kyle Shanahan by name, I can't help but think of Trent Williams going in motion across the line in the playoffs. And and that just must have struck fear into every defense. Even if you think running is usually a minus EV proposition, that that had to really set the tone. And uh, I, I think if not for a false start on the 49ers final offensive play against the Cowboys, we might not have needed the crazy 
end game with, uh, you know, Dak running in the middle of the field with no timeouts and the Mm -hmm. clock running out. The Niners were about to clinch that on a play in which I believe Williams was in motion. So, yeah, the right scheme and guys doing their jobs, certainly some value to be had in the running game, even this day and age. And I want to transition in a moment to build on, you know, the foundation you guys have already laid out with your approach to the game and clearly the knowledge that you bring to the table and and look at that through the perspective of Take the Points, your new podcast. But I've got to say, before we even go any further, it's amazing to me to be connecting with two people still haven't graduated from college. um, And I know you're at Michigan, a very prestigious institution, clearly very smart and well-rounded overall. But yeah, hearing this kind of NFL insight from the two of you, not a surprise based on what I've seen from you on Twitter, but um, just bringing it to the table in a forum like Take the Points, how would you say that you guys got the idea to do the show? And uh, I guess before we dig too much into that, thinking about the name, how did that even come into play? I know when I consider Take the Points, I have one clear initial reaction as a better. And at the same time, there's a connotation with a lot of casual fans that these days Kind of makes me want to cringe, but you might have done that for effect. So let's start with the name, take the points, and how that came into the fold for you. Yeah, Arjun, that's all you. I think I think you do a good job explaining why we got that name. Yeah, so we were we were thinking of names, and I think Tage brought up the idea of take the points. And initially, my reaction was like, this is like the complete opposite of like how our podcast like was going to go because we're an analytically like focused podcast, and like taking the points is like it's not taboo in analytics, but like when when you say when like a team is um in a fourth down situation and it's like fourth and one fourth and two the last thing the analytics say is to take the points but you think about it a little bit more and there's so much more to the the concept of take the points outside of analytics and fourth down decisions um you know one of like you said this was also a betting perspective like you take the points of a team like a certain team you know if they're dogs or if they're favorites you know we also wanted it to be like you want to take our talking points and like use them in your discussions or your or think about how you think about football. So it, there was a deeper meaning outside of just the analytical idea of taking the points. And so that's why we decided to roll with it. And I think it's a, it's a pretty catchy name once we, once we start talking about it. Definitely has a familiar ring and the way you outlined it, not just a double, but perhaps a triple entendre going on right there. And I see a parallel to establish the run. I understand that when evan silva started the company it was to pretty much you know poke fun at everybody who still thought that was the only way to win in the nfl Mm -hmm. um and certainly while that might be tongue-in-cheek uh clearly as we've already discussed the running game uh doesn't need to disappear from the nfl entirely it still does have some value in the right situations but i guess using your answer arjun from how you came up with the name for the show to the next topic the concept of take the points how would you guys describe the overall philosophy behind the show and how you got the idea to do this together mm-hmm. yeah how we how we got the idea was uh, me and arjun we just talk football all the time like when we uh, when we're at college and like we're walking back from like you know the gym or like someone's house or or something the whole time we'll just be walking and, and talking football and like when I talk to Arjun it's like some of the most insightful conversations that I have like like on a week-to-week basis and so I, I kind of was thinking one day I was like maybe we should just start recording these like like I think like maybe other people would would want to like listen in on these on these two and like you know that's how kind of we we got the idea to start the podcast there and um you know like what what I really wanted to do from the podcast is use things like advanced statistics 
and like a mix of our own football opinions and kind of hit that niche area where there's a lot of people that, you know, are doing football analytics. Um, but you know, there, there not necessarily isn't like a, like a main football analytics podcast. Like there's ones that are like more betting centric or, you know, or, or different types of things like that, but there's not just like a overarching football analytics podcast. And I thought that's like the area that we can kind of hit uh, when, when we decide to make it. And adding on to that, I think one of the things we discussed on, like when we were talking about like building out the podcast is like, we're still so young in like the analytics sphere and even outside of analytics, like in football, we're still learning a lot about how the game is played and like schemes and coverages and things like that. So we wanted to try and bring on guests as many guests as we could, you know, and we have like, you know, a list of guests that we are planning to bring on for episodes and such. And, you know, we, we've done a good job, I think, of like networking with people in the industry. And so I think that was one thing where it's like we knew we could find guests who are knowledgeable and insightful about topics that we wanted to cover. And we felt like tying analytics with like film people and also analytics people would be a good way of starting the podcast and talking about football in general. I've got to admit, it's been a minute, as you could probably tell by looking at me, it's been a minute since my college days, but I just, I recall a lot of similar, you know, interest in the NFL and, you know, finding myself in circles with more analytically minded people. But when you talk about building out a network, I mean, at this stage by, you know, about the ripe age of 20, what's the process been like um, for both of you when it comes to building out a network? Because, you know, as I continue to get more experience in my career outside of anything, even betting related or podcast related, or certainly within the sports betting community, you know, the saying really seems to be proving itself out that your network is your net worth. So what's it been like for the two of you starting to do that and and building up so much momentum at what seems to be a very early stage, relatively speaking? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think we've been lucky that people that, you know, work in football or, you know, even more specifically do sports analytics are so welcoming and nice you know, when I was getting started, uh, you know, where I was like posting graphs on Twitter, posting analysis, I was I was making a lot of mistakes because I was very new to everything. And, you know, people constantly gave me constructive criticism and helped me get better at a lot of this stuff. And, you know, by reaching out to me on Twitter or, you know, me and Arjun's friend, Syme, you know, has a, a Discord server with a lot of people who do sports analytics that you know, he added us to and we've been able to interact with him there and everything like it's been really lucky that we've we've just had so many people that, you know, want to help us grow as people, as data analysts, as football analysts. And, you know, it's 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 like really been helpful in, you know, kind of how my uh, journey has progressed and like how many people I've been able to meet because of it. Yeah. And, and adding on to that, I think. The, the the best part about um the whole community is like like Tate said it's pretty welcoming and I think you have to like be willing to like accept constructive criticism and like you can't take it as like they're you know dumping on your work or like they don't like your work I think that was like the biggest thing for me especially since like I really didn't know like analytics super deeply before I joined Michigan I'd never coded before Michigan so there was a lot of like like there was a learning curve initially in my first couple months of putting graphs on Twitter but eventually you'll find that like people start to enjoy this kind of work and the the public work helps to spark work within NFL teams. Like teams will be on Twitter a lot more than people realize. And so they'll find 
public work that they find interesting and they could look into it um, in a deeper perspective with more data and more um, more people at hand that they can discuss how to take work and um, and mold it into their own for teams and uh, or their own companies. So I think that was the best part about the community. And it's been great, like talking with people on, on, on Twitter, as long as, you know, we keep everything respectful and, and cordial. Yeah, that can be the biggest battle at sometimes, but as long as you're doing that, you're probably ahead of the curve. And as both of you touch on the community, I think there's a lot to be said for surrounding yourself with um, not just like-minded people, but also really smart people that you can learn from. And, and I feel like there's maybe a healthy balance to be had when it comes to being aligned in how you view something with other people in your inner circle versus opening up some room for healthy debate from time to time. Arjun, you mentioned, you know, trying to take things as constructive criticism. And if I think about your first episode, uh, which launched earlier this week, as we record this the afternoon of Sunday, June 19th, first off, congrats on your launch. Uh, so excited for what's in store. And it was a great listen right out of the gate. So well done to both of you. The primary topic and the episode was a top 10 quarterback head coach combo pairing. And I noticed as I was listening, a, a lot of similarity, not surprisingly. I mean, you guys probably started this for a reason. You see eye to eye on a lot of things. Uh, by my count, nine of the same teams featured in that top 10 and the top six all involved the same teams. In fact, the same exact spot for four of those top six teams and more than half of the teams overall on that list. Some of that is because it's hard to argue at a certain point when we know we've got teams with elite quarterbacks and head coaches. Of course, they're going to bubble up to the top of a list like that. But overall, with that much overlap on an exercise like this that I believe the two of you did independently before recording the conversation, what's your perspective on the value of seeing eye to eye versus also challenging each other to think differently? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, d I definitely think there's it's it's very beneficial to have both things happen to you uh, when you're talking football or, you know, even just talking about stuff in general. I think, you know, when you see eye to eye uh, on something with someone else, they can, you know, give a point that you might have not thought of before, but actually helps like bolster your argument and and make like your, um, you know, your confidence in that that like take feel better. And then when you when you differ with someone, it really lets you like go deeper into your research because like you need rebuttals and you kind of have to think about, okay, like it, what are they going to argue with? If, if we get into this, this type of argument, like, for example, like I thought, you know, I thought that going into the episode, Arjun would be higher on the Staley Herbert combination as a Chargers fan than I was. Um, you know, I, I really, really like Herbert. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but I have a good feeling about Staley, but there's so much uncertainty about him right now. So when I was going through that, I was kind of thinking of ways that I could, you know, kind of push Arjun and say, like, are we sure we should be putting Staley in a, as a top 10 head coach right now or, you know, because of this reason or this reason? Um, and, and it allowed me to, like, kind of, you know, look more into Staley and, like, what he's been doing and get a better feel for that. Yeah, and I, I agree with Tage. I think there's a lot of value in seeing eye to eye. And it's honestly, it's pretty cool how we do see eye, eye to eye on a lot of things. Like, I think we think about football the same way. I don't I don't really remember a lot of times where we disagree on a lot of things. And like, even even though we only had, like, we didn't have the same 10 coaches in our top 10, I think our top 12 is exactly the same, just a little bit out of order here and there. Um, I think the, the value of having, uh, like people on opposite sides of a discussion or an argument is like if if the team 
or a player does something that you don't think was supposed to happen and the, the other person was right, then the other person has like the inside of like, why did they think this through? Like, why did they think this was going to happen? I remember, and this is no slide on Tage, like when we were talking about like, the Jaguars last season, I know Tage was a little bit higher on them than me because he thought Urban Meyer was going to be a good pairing with Trevor Lawrence. And I know like when we talked about it, I, he had brought up a lot of good points. Like the Ohio State offense was always really good no matter like who was that quarterback, it could have been like Cardell Jones or JT Barrett or Justin Fields. But, you know, I, I was a little bit skeptical, skeptical because like Ohio State only recruits like five stars. So they're always going to have like the top of the line um, players at at that age. So I was like, I'm, I'm not going to if I wasn't betting last summer. Also, I wouldn't have taken the over, but I wouldn't have taken the under either because. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was like was supposed to be that good of a quarterback coming out of college so having like different opinions is always good and I think it it helps when you have different opinions because you're always listening to other um, the other side and how other people think about a certain a certain point so you mentioned the Jags I am looking up my bet tracking from last season because I have an embarrassing ticket to share Jacksonville to win the AFC South. I, I did get 12 to one at the time. The number was good. I think it closed in the range of, of a touch North of eight to one. Uh, but yeah, a few weeks into the season, we knew we could write that one off. So uh, yeah, no, no need for any embarrassment on Tasha's part, or at least both of us can feel it because you certainly weren't alone. And I, I think we had some sharp company seeing the Jags, if nothing else as a high variance team, I wouldn't have faulted anybody who might've had a Jags regular season win ticket under as part of their portfolio and at the same time, maybe a small flyer on them to win that division simply because of the variance with Lawrence coming to the league. What's Urban Meyer going to mean? You know, that division looking really, really weak. In hindsight, mm -hmm. of course, that was, you know, seemingly a terrible bet. But the process going into it, maybe not quite as bad. And as we talk about, you know, the Jags as a team and what they did last year, I'd like to keep a couple of team outlooks going at this part of the conversation, but look forward and Arjun, let's start with our Chargers. I don't think I've used the phrase our Chargers as a collective on this show yet. So it's nice to know I'm not the only fan in the world. I feel like I'm the only one in L.A., but, uh, you know, I've, I've got some good company with you uh, out at Michigan. But when it comes to the Chargers as a team, how do you go about trying to separate um, your fandom? I, I think back to a recent appearance I had on VEASAN and Greg Peterson was asking me about a team I liked for this coming season. You know, anybody that the more I look into them, the more optimistic I feel. And I know I'm a fan, but I just kept thinking with a lot of their philosophy, um, you know, even drafting a safety in the third round, but knowing what that can do to unlock Derwin James, some things that initially didn't add up have started to come together in a pretty nice way. Um, when it comes to you as a fan, but also trying to be objective as an evaluator, what do you think of the Chargers and their outlook for this coming season in a stacked AFC West? That's a that's a great question. And honestly, my thought process on the Chargers this entire offseason has been has been so tough for me as a fan, just because, like, like you said, it's tough to separate fandom and like putting things in a perspective, especially a betting perspective, because when when the Chargers traded for Khalil Mack, I was like, OK, I, like it wasn't that wasn't the move that pushed me over the edge because like I didn't think just getting Khalil Mack like completed this team but when they traded for, for Khalil Mack like from a betting perspective it made me think okay they're gonna be go like aggressive this offseason spend a lot of money and bolster both sides of the ball so when that happened I, I took some chargers at like plus 425 on Caesars and I was like and I got great cleave on that but the the thing is like when I'm thinking about the chargers 
it's tough because I know the Chargers. Like, I know this is a team that perpetually disappoints fans, betters. They're always the most hyped team in the offseason going into the season. And the thing that I'm really high on for the Chargers this year is, like, I finally think they have a great quarterback, which they've always had with Philip Rivers, but I really believe in Brandon Staley. And I just, I truly think he did not have the pieces he needed to, to succeed on defense in 2021. He was running his three, four scheme with four, three players who single gap instead of two gap. So now that he has an off season to build a roster and especially the defense in his image, I can see them taking that next step to being elite contenders, but I can understand why people can be skeptical of them because they've never like they've really never lived up to their expectations of being this elite team and they're always so good on paper but I think they this offseason they finally fixed a lot of holes and depth issues which makes me confident in my bet that I put earlier and I think they could be a team to watch out for as a Super Bowl contender yeah I know their Super Bowl odds open north of 20 to 1 and now the consensus seems to be in the range of 14 to 1 so a lot of the value has probably been sucked out of the equation at this stage Uh, but seeing that early I I would say well played on your part regardless how it plays out to your point getting closing line value that's about the best you can ask of yourself in the long run that's going to pay off um, for the Chargers I feel like I'm always waiting to see how they're going to rip my heart out next but um, again if you have a team um, that's you know got a good number in pocket well before the season even kicks off, then you're putting yourself in the best spot you can. I like that you point to the Khalil Mack acquisition as a big moment, not just because of what he means as a player individually, but because of what that says about the team's philosophy. I think about another team that's seen a lot of steam in the offseason betting market, the New Orleans Saints being aggressive in the draft and with some of their acquisitions right after the draft, even though there are so many question marks about you know, what they're going to do at quarterback, what the heck they're doing with Taysom Hill, their cap situation. If they're being very aggressive, it's telling us that their front office is in win now mode. So yeah, we can be bearish on the long-term prospects of what this might mean and how it might backfire. But in 2022, you know, their regular season win total had a lot of room to go up and now it's settling in around eight and a half, which is uh, quite a bit better than what it would have been, you know, shortly before the draft. So Tej, as, as we maybe bring the conversation about the Chargers to the non-Chargers fan in this group right here. What do you think of the team's outlook moving forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm I'm also really high on the Chargers this year, like everyone is, which worries me a little bit that there haven't been really many like dissenting opinions about the Chargers. Like everyone seems really excited about them. But how can you not be, um, you know, when when you have what I would think is a top three quarterback in Justin Herbert? And, you know, like, I think I think it's really important that Justin Herbert is an elite quarterback for this team because, you know, the the Chargers really lack a third receiving option. I could really trust this year, you know, between Josh Palmer, Jalen Guyton, like they're they're fine receiving options. But, you know, if, if Keenan Allen and Mike Williams aren't winning their their battles like, you know, it's, it's tougher for, um, you know, a third receiver to to be there. But, you know, that's why you have Austin Eckler, who you know, I thought played at a, at a very high level last year and can, can, you know, get some screen passes or some angle passes that, that he can, he can break off. Um, and then yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see all the new pieces on defense come together. You know, when, when Belichick lets go of a player and you sign them, you know that they're not going to play as well as they did in the new England system, but I still think JC Jackson will be fine in, in uh, Los Angeles. And then like, I think like, 
with Khalil Mack, we could see what we saw with like Avon Miller last year where they, they were just on a bad team and like things weren't going well for them, but like they needed to be on a Super Bowl contender to kind of be revived and get a lot of their, their confidence and intensity back. So I think, I think the Chargers defense won't start off the year that hot because there's so many new pieces that are trying to get onboarded and everything like that. But, you know, by midseason, I think, you know, we see we'll see the Chargers with a top five, top 10 offense and then also a defense that can actually stop people, especially in the run game this year. I like that outlook over the arc of this season because, yeah, with a lot of new pieces, especially defensively, even if it's a better fit for Staley, it's fair to think that it could take them some time to really hit their stride as a group. And as you mentioned, you know, when Belichick lets a player go, that's definitely something to give a good amount of weight to, not just J.C. Jackson, but Kyle Van Noy also mm-hmm. coming over. I know Staley has been pretty vocal about the championship pedigree that a guy like Van Noy brings to the table. So probably a lot in the way of leadership. And hopefully he can instill some of that in a guy that, you know, he'll be sharing a position group with uh, Kenneth Murray. If he can ever get it together, if Van Noy can do anything to help bring him up, that might mean more than anything that Van Noy himself would do on the field. And I'm going to keep my fingers crossed, Tej, that the Chargers defense doesn't take too long to gel because they've got, I think, a pretty soft on-ramp to start the season. And then their schedule really gets tough down the stretch. So it could be favorable if their defense needs some time to find its legs and then really does hit its stride against better opposition. Um, But yeah, just because the schedule might look a little bit easy, relatively speaking, in the early going, doesn't mean that we can assume the team in all three phases will be at peak form right out of the gates. And I know that that's something Staley's working on with this personnel that he's brought in this offseason. I'd like to dig in just a bit more being self-serving as the Chargers fan I am on Brandon Staley, getting your guys' perspective. Because in your first interview that you did with Take the Points, something that you discussed gave me the thought that maybe we need to rethink a stat-like success rate. Because with a coach like Staley, if you gain five yards on third and seven, that's quite possibly a successful play because you're setting yourself up for a very favorable fourth and two that he's probably going to attempt. And I know that conventionally, any third down where you don't move the chains, that's deemed an unsuccessful play. What do you guys think of the way that Staley approaches the game and how you might need to be careful with the way you look at certain analytics that could be very meaningful as they're traditionally interpreted for some teams, but might need a bit of manual adjustment when you consider who's coaching for other teams? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that's that's a great point about success rate needing to be changed as the league starts to get more aggressive on fourth down. You know, a lot of it is when you look at Justin Herbert's average depth of target last year for a quarterback of his arm talent, it looks pretty low. And, you know, part of that is because, uh, you know, a team that isn't as aggressive on third down is going to go is going to throw past the sticks on most third and longs. But Justin Herbert didn't have to do that since you knew Staley was going to go for basically every fourth and one or fourth and two. They were able to get five yards on the third and seven, like you mentioned, to set up a more manageable fourth down. And that would like, you know, air quotes hurt Justin Herbert's success rate. But he actually did the right thing there in in, in setting them up for um, for more manageable position there. So, yeah, that's why that's why I've always kind of leaned towards EPA per play instead of success rate. You know, I, I like the I like the context of, you know, how many points you're adding to what was expected from that situation, you know, across all of the NFL. And I think I think like, you know, Herbert ranked very highly on third down EPA per play last year. And that's very reflective of, you know, his ability to either set them up for a manageable fourth down or, you know, move the sticks, you know, in, in a expected pass situation, which he's so good at. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that sentiment. Um, I, I think the thing is like you don't want to be in fourth down situations. Like you don't want to try to increase variance, especially for an offense as good as the Chargers. Like if they play at their average level, like that play throughout the course of a season on downs one through three, they're going to beat a lot of teams. But if they keep trying to get to fourth down and convert on fourth down, you're just increasing variance in a game. And as we saw in like the Chiefs game, I mean, increasing variance can sometimes lead to non-favorable outcomes. So as much as I agree with your guys' point that like a third and seven turning into a fourth and two, a fourth and one may not be like a completely unsuccessful play. I do think, you know, the goal should be to try to convert on on third down unless it's like a super like uh long like third and long third and ten and plus then maybe you can go for like a fourth and two fourth and three and then go for it afters but go for it after but um in that situation i would rather see them try to convert the third down and and try to like decrease as much variance as you can i really like that point about you know third and seven and third and ten or more not necessarily the same thing because third and seven is obviously an easier conversion than a third and ten would be so if your net result is a fourth and two um, one of those plays might be more successful than the other, considering down and distance. So, Arjun, as you talk about that, I know in the Chiefs game on Thursday night late in the season, it seemed like every high leverage moment really backfired on the Chargers. But I also think that, okay, as optimistic as I am about the Chargers, the Chiefs seem like a better team right now. The Bills seem like a better team. The Ravens might rebound in a major way this season. I'll speak more to that a little bit later. But sometimes as much as I like about the Chargers and their roster, they're going to need increased variance to give themselves a chance to beat teams that on paper would otherwise have a significant upper hand in some matchups. So what do you make of Staley adding variance in some ways? Yes, you're opening the door to some unfavorable outcomes. But on the other hand, uh, my pushback, and I don't think you disagree with this. I'm just curious to hear where you net out. Only one team is going to win the Super Bowl at the end of the season. So what difference does it make if you, you know, if you're aggressive and you come up short or if you play it safe and you come up short, if you're going to need to shake things up and add some variance to take down some really good teams, um, sometimes maybe that's not such a bad idea. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that point. As we saw with the Bills two years ago in the playoffs, like you can't kick field goals and expect to beat the Chiefs. And, you know, even then Mahomes can score in 13 seconds. So Really, no lead is safe with the Chiefs, so you should be trying to put up as many points as possible. At this point, with how Josh Allen's career has progressed, I would throw him and the Bills into that category as well, that like you should be trying to put as many points on the board as you can just because of how explosive the Chiefs' offense was. I'm curious. I'm not sure how explosive it's going to be without Tyreek. Not that it was super explosive last year with how much too high they played against, but it, when you're playing elite offenses, you should be trying to increase variance just because of how much – or. You, it's not even just increased variance. Like you need to be as aggressive as you can because of how good the other team's offense is and how quickly they can put points on the board. So I do agree with your point there. And, um, you know, increasing variance in a single game wouldn't hurt against an elite team like the Bills or the Chiefs. And I think before we move on from the Chargers, Tej, I'm almost going to give you a sigh of relief and move on to bigger things here. But I think about a game like the Chargers hosting the Broncos later last season. Drew Locke was their quarterback for Denver. And I think Staley kicked a field goal on fourth and goal from the one or two. Typically, he wouldn't have done that against a better team. So it's not just a one-size-fits-all approach. I think it's important to consider, yeah, if you've got Drew Locke on the other side, guess what? Maybe taking the points uh, to bring back the name of your guys' show is the way to go in certain scenarios. 
where you know if you're taking on Kansas City at Arrowhead in the playoffs, you're going to want to go for touchdowns in that case because a field goal isn't going to leave you too much better off than coming up empty-handed in that same situation. Let's talk about another team here. And Tej, we can kick it off uh, with you. Moving to the AFC East, I want to talk about the Patriots a bit because I think both of you thought that they were going to be your surprise selection, and yet you both netted out with them as your number eight team when it came to the quarterback-head coach combo. And when it comes to the head coach, I know Belichick is an all-time great, perhaps the greatest of all time, but Tej, I believe you mentioned that he seems to be losing his edge a bit if we look at the you know average wins he's helped secure over the last three years per PFF data. And then looking at Mac Jones, I've got some question marks when it comes to his offensive line seemingly downgrading, unless the Patriots really knew what they were doing, reaching for Cole Strange in the first round. Also, offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels, possibly to Matt Patricia, which I still can't fully figure out. Um, We've talked about a couple key departures on the defense, heading over to the Chargers and guys like J.C. Jackson and Kyle Van Noy. And then as I just think about the Patriots division, Buffalo, I think anybody can make a strong case that they're the best team in the league right now. The Dolphins, uh, Tua questions, you know, still a plenty when it comes to what he's going to do, but they seem to be in win now mode with a lot of their acquisitions. And then for the Jets, it's at least going to be hard for them to be any worse this coming season. So I, I got to say, I like a look at the Patriots when I see under eight and a half wins at minus 105 where that's available. But both of you guys seem still pretty bullish overall on what Belichick and Jones and the rest of that team, I believe, could bring to the table. So what might I be missing when I think that, you know, aside from fading Belichick, always being playing with fire, what else might I be missing if I'm giving a good look to a bet on the Patriots to come in under eight and a half wins this coming season? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, something something we touched on the, the episode was, yeah, be, Belichick and Mac Jones are like a top 10 quarterback head coach combination right now. But like the, the surrounding area around them isn't good. Like it isn't as good as like all the other teams in the AFC that we had in the top 10. Um, You know, we you're on on defense, like they're rolling out corners that, you know, are both like good corner twos, but they're not like locked down like corner one options. So I think Belichick is going to lean a lot into his safeties that he has. He has a lot of versatile safeties that he can use as chess pieces. And so I'm really curious to see how that defense works. And like, I think their defense will be pretty good. And, you know, it, it, they the Patriots are set up to take advantage of bad teams, but not beat like really good teams. So, you know, could, because like, because like they're going to be able to run the ball pretty well. Mac Jones is a really accurate passer but he's not super explosive and he doesn't have a high ceiling so he'll be able to to pick apart bad defenses and you know really take advantage of favorable matchups but when you go up against a a really good defense he's not going to be able to make like the tight window middle of the field throws and and the different stuff that like a Mahomes or Josh Allen or Justin Herbert can do so I think you know because of kind of the way that the defense is set up and um, and and then the you know the the lack of a very high ceiling on offense, the Patriots are kind of like that that team, kind of like the Eagles last year, where they can they can beat you know the the non playoff teams, but probably not beat the the teams that will make the playoffs. Yeah, I I love that point that Tate brought up that like the the Patriots are kind of the team that will just beat up on bad teams, but they might like they won't be as competitive in like games against playoff teams. When I look at this roster, I kind of see shades of the 2020 Patriots who finished seven and nine. 
And the thing about that 79 season was like there were some games that could have gone either way, like Cam Newton. Um, they lost to the Seahawks because he couldn't convert on like third and one or some something in goal at the two yard line with like three seconds left. They lost to the Broncos, who only kicked six field goals and scored 18 points to win that game. There were some games that just didn't go in their favor, but they did beat up on really bad teams like the Chargers that year, like 45 to zero. And I see shades of that team in this with this Patriots team. But I do think this Patriots team has better weapons. Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith. And I don't think like I don't think Mac Jones is like awful. And he's definitely not awful. He finished like uh, 10th in adjusted EPA per play when um, counting the playoffs as well. And like I just agree with what Tage said. I think this is a team that will beat up on bad teams and they might steal a game or two from playoff teams. I'm just too scared of Belichick to bet any unders against them just because like he always like this is the greatest coach, the greatest general manager in, in NFL history, right? So like you're not you can't just completely count them out. But I think the lack of having an elite quarterback does limit their upside in some of these closer games against really good offenses. Yeah, I guess one more parallel there would be to our Chargers conversation. There's a lot to be said for simply taking care of business against the teams you should beat. I mean, if the Chargers can show up in Houston the day after Christmas, I know both teams had a lot of COVID absences, but the Chargers losing in Houston, as much talk as that Week 18 thriller in Vegas gets, that loss in Houston is really what did them in. A team like the Patriots, if you just take care of business when you should and let the chips fall where they may against the better teams, I think a lot to be said for that and the consistency with which Belichick has done just that over the years. And I know I introduced a Patriots regular season win bet that I've I've made a small play on and I'm considering added on, but I appreciate what you guys have brought to that conversation. I know and take the points. You guys also have a betting segment. In fact, you have a sponsor from the outset with that. So congratulations on hitting the ground running on that front. Wondering if each of you could describe yourselves as betters and maybe share one of your favorite bets that you're currently seeing on the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm I'm a very casual better. Like I I don't I haven't had too much experience with it. Definitely want to do more. But you know, one of the the ones that that I really like is the Eagles to win the the NFC East. Um, you know, the the Cowboys this year. Like if you if you kind of look at the difference between the the Cowboys and the Eagles, the the main difference between them is. The Cowboys lost their wide receiver one and then the Eagles gained a wide receiver one. And I think, you know, the two teams were like pretty close last year in, in level of play. Like it took, it took Sirianni a couple of weeks to get settled in. And then like the Eagles and the Cowboys played at about the same level for the rest of the season. And so since the Eagles were able to upgrade so much, you know, at a key position, like, like wide receiver and also add Jordan Davis to, to the defense, who, which is going to allow them to do a lot more things uh, you know, because they were pretty vanilla last year. I think that they they have a good shot to to kind of win that division at the price. And and I just don't love the Cowboys this year um, because I think it'll it'll be a lot harder on offense without Amari Cooper. And you know the defense is going to regress because of a lot of turnover luck they had last year that they probably won't get this year. One of the key phrases there, aside from the handicap you gave, which I think has plenty of merit, liking the Eagles at the price, especially with these division futures, just a PSA. I know everybody hears it, but shop for the best number. I mean, even if we just look at two of the biggest books in the country right now, I'm seeing the Eagles listed at plus 160 to win the NFC East at DraftKings. 
and plus 210 to win the division at FanDuel. So that's a pretty big discrepancy. We tend not to see discrepancies that big once we're looking at point spreads and totals in the regular season. Um, so if you like the reasoning there, also make sure to shop around. There, there are some pretty good numbers to get. You don't have to settle for something in the range of plus 160 if you can give yourself a couple of different books to shop around with. Um, so I, I like that look, Tej. Arjun, what are you thinking as far as one of your favorite bets currently on the board? And I guess before we dig into a specific pick, how would you describe yourself as a better? Yes, yeah, so I, I joined the like the betting um, sector last October. So it's been about, I would say, like a little more than half a year since I've gotten into betting uh, NFL, NBA, and now recently WNBA, thanks to our thanks to my boss, um, Eric Eager, and one of my friends, Ben Brown, who kind of got me into it. But um, one of the bets I really like is the Raiders under eight and a half wins. I know they did a lot um, to like get Devontae Adams, traded a first and second round pick for him. But I look at this overall construction of this Raiders roster, and I am like, I think I think it's very similar to the Chargers last year. They have a great offense. Don't get me wrong. I think um, Devontae, Renfro, and Waller might be the one of the best uh, trio uh, skill position players in the NFL currently. But this offensive line did not improve from last year. Josh McDaniels, almost every single year with the Patriots, and I was doing some research on this, the Patriots pass blocking grade since 2014 has never fallen as a team below 64, um, according to PFF. The Raiders pass blocking unit last year was was 64. So, you know, Josh McDaniels is stepping into a team which doesn't really have that good of an O-line, which is something he's had the luxury of every single year in New England. He's had the privilege of working with Dante Scarnecchia, one of the best offensive line gurus in the business. So he's stepping into this new team where he doesn't have the same offensive line. I don't think he's going to be able to run the same type of concepts he was able to in New England. And you know, I don't think the run game is, is going to be that successful with this offensive line. And then I transition over to their defense, and it is it is very top-heavy. I know they signed Chandler, Chandler Jones, and they have um, Max Crosby, who had a really great season out opposite of him. But you lose one of those players to injury, and Chandler Jones is on the wrong side of 30 now. You're starting Cleland Furl, and you're starting – I mean, you're starting um, – Bilal Nichols and Jonathan Hankins on the interior. So I see a lot of this, a lot of problems on that defense. And I haven't even brought up that Jonathan Abram is still started to, are still slotted to start as strong safety for that team. And then um, Trayvon Mullen and Rocky Sin at outside corner. I mean, that doesn't get me excited at all. So I would be fading the Raiders this year um, on DraftKings under, under eight and a half is plus 100. So it's basically even money. So I really like that pick. I, I bet it when I was in Michigan before I left to come back home to California. And that is kind of like why I'm fading the Raiders. I like it. And uh, I see, yeah, even money at DraftKings and FanDuel now showing plus 110. So uh, much more alignment uh, between two of the bigger books in the country in regulated markets with the Raiders season win total. Um, but still, if you can pick up an extra 10 cents, if you have the ability to shop lines, no harm in doing so. I'm also going to share my favorite bet currently on the board. And there's a pretty wide variety of what this price would be, where it's being offered. And that's a look at the Ravens to win the AFC North. I'm still seeing the number as high as plus 200. So two to one at one pretty well-established offshore. Um, some more consensus plus 185. Um, I, I think that's a good price floor that has some decent availability. 
obviously a lot of speculation about a Deshaun Watson suspension and a pretty lengthy one at that. If and when we get that news, I think it makes the season an uphill battle for the Browns to really contend. And the Steelers, you know, they might have a great defense again, but they seem to be rebuilding on offense. So that, you know, doesn't entirely rule out Cleveland or Pittsburgh, but does kind of make the AFC North more of a two-horse race between the Ravens and the Bengals. And if we look at Baltimore and Cincinnati head-to-head, and I can get, you know, two to one or, or just shy of that on Baltimore, I certainly like those odds. I would also say from a scheduling standpoint, the Bengals having won the division last year, they draw a tougher first-place schedule. Baltimore, just injury ravaged, so they somehow finished last in the division, but because of that, they get a softer last-place schedule this coming season. And speaking of the Ravens being injury ravaged, I think last year their adjusted games lost were actually worse than any team in 2020 when those numbers included COVID absences. So the Ravens just completely beleaguered. I think they have a lot of positive injury regression coming their way, all things considered, plus 185 or better, liking Baltimore to win the AFC North. I don't think that number is still available if and when we get news on a Deshaun Watson suspension. Any initial thoughts from either of you two on Baltimore's prospects in the AFC North? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm right there with you, Matt. I'd, I'd really like Baltimore this year as well. You know, in, in the show that we did last week, we both had uh, John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson as one of the best quarterback head coaching combinations in the NFL because they are. Um, you know, John Harbaugh is very sharp in, in all aspects of the game and was able to drag, you know, the it, you know, so we have a metric at, at PFF called uh, war adjusted injuries lost, which like tries to measure the, you know, the, the impact of all the players lost um, from injury using like with the wins above replacement metric. Um, and, and the Ravens were one of the most injured teams in the whole database, uh, you know, going all the way back to, I think like 2014. So, you know, as, you know, they were just ravaged by injuries last year, like you mentioned. Somehow we were able to win seven games off of that and, you know, get, get you know, I assume Lamar Jackson for the whole year this year, you know, get their whole secondary back, which which they were all injured last year, get their running back room back, which were all injured last year. So, yeah, I think it'll be, I think, I think it'll, it'll be the Ravens to win that AFC North if I do pick one because the Bengals are going to see, some regression. The Bengals played a very easy schedule last year and got to play the injured Ravens, you know, twice and played a lot of other injured teams down the stretch as well. And then, yeah, what you mentioned with the Browns, just so much uncertainty there. So if I had to pick a team, I, I would pick the Ravens to win that division. Yep. Right there with you guys. I also have a Ravens AFC North ticket at two to one. This was like before Deshaun got traded. So I got good cleave and then it moved backwards on me to like plus two, like 220, I think. So I was like, like a little bit not super happy about it. But um, I mean, it seems like Deshaun's going to be suspended for a significant amount of time. There was a report that it was a full season suspension, which is great for the Ravens ticket. Um, I think the only thing that concerns me about the Ravens is like there is a lot of projection from like betters like us um, about their players coming back at like at full strength almost. Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters did like suffer significant injuries as did JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards. So yeah, like I think as betters, we have to be mindful of the fact that they're probably not going to be the same player they were, but just having like 70 or 80% of the players that they once were are significant upgrades over who they were trotting out in 2021. And like the players they were trotting out are like practice squad players. So no offense to them, but that's, that's just what they were. So I think, Harbaugh taking that team to an 89 record and now having all of these upgrades back injury 
I think that is a is a very good bet on your part. I like the point about guys coming back not necessarily being assumed back at 100%, because while it is a binary, you know, the box score, did they play or did they not, it is certainly not a binary of did they play at 100% or, or were they severely limited. There's a pretty big spectrum in there. And I think looking at things that way speaks to why you two are very involved in the University of Michigan Football Analytics Society. And as we start to approach the home stretch, I wanted to be sure to bring that up. It seems so cool. As far as I know, when I was at USC, there was nothing like that, or I probably would have been just enamored with it when I was a student there. Um, how would you guys describe what you do there? And knowing that there's a much broader audience out there, is there any emphasis on using an analytical perspective, but to try to make information as accessible as possible to people who might not be familiar at all with a lot of that terminology? Mm hmm yeah, so you know what what we try to do at the Football Analytics Society is just really provide a place where people can talk football and learn about how to use data to be you know better football fans. And you know, I think I think we've we've put in a lot of work to to try to get there. We have meetings once a week with like the whole club uh, where we all come together, and it's they're always a lot of fun. And like sometimes there'll be presentations or guest speakers, but you know most of the time it's just like us, like just going through what happened the last week in football and talking about the games and talking about what we think the playoffs are going to look like and all that stuff. And, you know, it's a, it's a really good experience. And then like, we also have a group me like chat with like all the members of the club and people are always sharing stuff in there, sharing news, you know, sharing um, what they think about certain things happening. And it's just, it's just a really good place where you know everyone's really nice and wants to talk football with each other and you know we're we're all able to do that and you know we we try to be like as inclusive as possible when it when it comes to that type of stuff yeah and the i mean I, i've always said the club has been like my like first step into the industry and it's been it's been great for me especially working with people like tage there and um, you know, we, we've had people from the club go on and work for teams like this summer. So it's been cool seeing like how some of our um, club members have gone on to do great things. Like, obviously, I was I, I felt really good for Tage, you know, just being part of the club last year when he was working with PFF and then I got hired. So I was super happy when, when all of that transpired. So, you know, I'm glad that we have something like this for people at Michigan to come and talk football with, because like I know a lot of people may not think of football in the way we do. And so it's 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 fun to just provide a different perspective to people that are willing to listen to it. It's so cool to hear how this has opened doors for people to work with teams or for the two of you to work with PFF. How would you say that ties in with your career goals? Big picture, uh, any clear ambitions on, on what each of you would like to achieve over the course of your careers after you graduate? Mm -hmm. I definitely want to be working with data in, in some form. It's, it's what I enjoy doing. And, uh, you know, whether that's in sports or not, I haven't decided yet. Um, you know, I, I definitely really enjoyed my, my time at PFF and, and had a lot of fun there. But, you know, this summer was kind of figuring out, you know, if I can get a different perspective on what it's like to do analytics, you know, in, in, um, in a different setting. So, you know, once, once I, I finish this summer, I think I'll have a more clear idea of like what industry I want to go to, but definitely should, should be something data related. Out of curiosity, is there anything that you've already got lined up for this summer that you could share that's not football related? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, so I'm, I'm doing uh, risk analytics for, for a consulting company. Uh, so so I, 
and you know working on a project there and everything and it's been it's been interesting so far uh you know just just started recently so i'll i'll probably have a better feel in, in a couple of weeks um but yeah it's i just have to see like what it what it's like you know working working outside of pff that's really cool yeah i would bet that there's a lot of crossover to the skill set required mm -hmm. there so um hoping it gives you some clarity on which avenue to pursue. It seems like you'll have multiple doors open for you. And then Arjun still being with PFF, uh, how does that tie in with what you think of at this point in terms of your own career goals? Yeah. So I, when I um, joined PFF, you know, I was obviously like super interested in football and I've only, that interest has only grown. I think the end goal would be to be able to work for an NFL team in their analytics department or strategy department. But I understand like getting to that road is, is pretty tough. So I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket as of right now. And like similar to Tage, I do want to have something related to data, related to working with data to, I don't know, like tell a story pretty much. And that can either be in sports or out of sports. Um, but I'm not limiting myself to just football or, or just putting all my eggs in one basket, like I said. But it, it would be cool to be a part of a front office and, you know, talking to people who work in, in NFL analytics departments. It does seem like a really cool job that you get to uh, influence a lot of decision making and things of that sort. Love it. One more question on the career front, uh, kind of making this a bit backward looking. I think you two will probably be the youngest people to whom I've asked this on the podcast, but clearly anybody who's caught the last 55 minutes or so of this conversation knows there's you know such a wealth of knowledge and such bright futures in store for the two of you. If you fast forward, um, I guess in your case, it would be rewinding just a couple of years for somebody looking to get into the space in some way. Any initial thoughts on what advice you would offer somebody who, who would like to be perhaps where you are now or, or share similar ambitions for their own careers of how to get into the NFL analytics space or anything with podcasting or with PFF, um, certain skills or experiences that you'd really encourage people to pursue? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying those those nice words about us, Matt. That means a lot. Um, yeah, the, the, you know, I, I get asked this question a lot about like, oh, if I'm, you know, just entering college, like what should I do to get into NFL analytics and, and kind of like that space. And, you know, what I, what I say is to, you know, still, still care about, you know, your, your grades and doing well in school, but, you know, put a lot of time and energy into working on football analytics projects on your own and, you know, putting those out in the public space. Like if you start a WordPress account or you start a YouTube channel, or you start like a podcast like this, you know, it's, it's really good if you go and, you know, you learn how to code, uh, you, you know, using NFL data, and you're able to do like a write up or something. And just like, and, you know, publish that online, because it gives you a, a really good portfolio of stuff to talk about when you're doing, you know, interviews, or when you're kind of interacting with other people. And, you know, like, like, you know, but, you know, everything that that I've done, like, projects that I've worked on always come up whenever I'm talking to someone in the, the NFL analytics space or just, you know, even in general, but like my GPA has never come up. Like no one, no one really cares about that as long as you're doing good public work. So that's why I say like, you know, to really focus on, on that type of stuff um, instead of like stressing about like, you know, schoolwork all the time, like while you're in college. Yeah. I think, it, it kind of reminds me of the notion for people post-college, a lot of people with a side hustle or a passion for this space, the phrase comes up, don't quit your day job. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, um, 
it's important anybody with a day job like cover your bases don't let anything fall through the cracks that's going to compromise your ability to pay rent or the mortgage or, or fulfill your basic financial needs but doing the right work getting noticed by the right people in this space that can open doors to what could be a future day job so i, I like the perspective on really prioritizing that and seeing how that comes into play with building out a portfolio for yourself and Arjun, what would you say might be some of your top advice to somebody maybe a couple years behind you looking to carve out a similar niche for themselves? It, it really does come down to like putting your work out there for people to see. Um, I know like I used to really get be into like writing and I, I still am into like writing and, and putting articles together. But these articles can be anything related to football, but you just need to show people that you understand football. It could be from an analytics or a film perspective and you just want to break things down for anyone to understand so i think that was one thing that really helped me get started and also following the right people i mean there's no such thing as the right people but like following people on twitter who who also put out work and um sharing your opinions with them in the replies or in the comments and then seeing how they reply to you and that's kind of how you like build connections with people and i know that's how i met some people in the in, in the industry just like replying to my tweets or me replying to theirs so not being afraid to you know show some of the work you can put out on in the public sphere and then also um, talking with people in the industry. I think networking in general is, is a good way of going about it. Well said. Well, let's wrap up here with two of the pillars of this show. First off, something I have dubbed the Malinsky Minute, a nod to the late great sports betting legend, David Malinsky, a man whom I was fortunate to know as both a friend and a mentor. And one of the things I think about Dave, uh, through the you know perspective of this conversation, Dave was so sharp at using both sides of his brain, thinking logically, but also being very creative with his writing and the way that he could speak to handicapping points or really anything in any walk of life. And for you guys tying it to this conversation, I'd be curious for your point of view on balancing logic and creativity. I know that a lot of you know analytics and working with data and coding can be much more on the logical side. But something like the podcast, Take the Points, that's a good way to have a creative outlet. How do you approach that balance or sometimes just make a decision on when to lean into one side over the other? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, when when I'm coding and, and looking at NFL data, you're right. It's, it's, it's all very logical and, you know, it's very it's very refined and there's not, you know, a ton of creativity that, that happens when you're doing that type of stuff. But, you know, there's there's a lot of times where you know, I'll, um, I like to, you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. So, you know, listening to, to different podcasts of people that don't have data backgrounds and it doesn't even have to be NFL related. It could be, you know, even, even sports related like basketball or, or another type of podcast or like non-sports related is where I'll get ideas for like things I want to check out in the NFL world. And I think that's where kind of like the creativity will come in. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're just, you know, if you're just listening to as many perspectives as possible and gaining new insight, you can really think of stuff like in, in the NFL world um, when it comes to that. Now, from my side, I know creativity can be sometimes a challenge. Um, and, and this is like one thing I think we, me and Tage have talked about and I've talked about with other people is like, there are so many good people in the football analytics community. I want to shout out um, one of our friends, Anthony Reinhard, he goes by like Reinhardler on Twitter. Like he has some of the best data viz I've ever seen in my life. And like, it's it's hard not to get jealous by like the type of viz he can put out. But then, you know, I'm, and it's no shade on him. Like sometimes the most complex viz aren't, isn't the most um, convincing or like it doesn't 
tell the most information. And like one thing I learned is like sometimes less is more where it's like you don't need to be super creative. It's like a simple scatter plot with an X and Y axis with dots and names can tell the same as you know a, a plot where it's like multiple graphs in one graphic. So just trying to balance the idea of like portraying information that people can digest easily but also like making it look like quote unquote cool or, or uh, nice to, to see or visualize. I think that type of balance has been something I've been trying to um, trying to find ever since I started coding about a year ago. And it's something that, you know, we we've had discussions about and like how to approach that type of situation. Yeah. That reminds me of a conversation I was listening to earlier today. There's a podcast called no stupid questions. It's on the Freakonomics radio network. And I believe the co-hosts are Stephen Dubner and Angela Duckworth. And they were talking about simplicity and how so many people just prefer a binary answer to any complex problem. And the truth is often, you know, almost always going to be more nuanced. And, and sometimes it's a matter of, okay, how much do I need to be right versus how much do I need to register with other people? Sometimes maybe it's worth it to compromise some of that nuance and give a slightly less detailed, accurate answer, but at least it's one that people are more likely to digest and act on accordingly so that directionally things would be better off than the best answer in the world that would sail over everybody's head. So I know often when I'm trying to explain NFL betting concepts or the two of you working with a lot of data, there's probably a constant battle between how deep and nuanced can I get? And how simple and elegant do I want to keep this so that it will be received properly by, you know, a target audience or as big of an audience as possible. And I'll use that as a round way of getting into the final pillar of this podcast, the hops, because sometimes when I get overwhelmed by that balance, a good way to just take off the edge a bit, maybe get a little bit of clarity, you know, all good things in moderation, enjoying a good beer or two from time to time. Arjun, I can let you sit this one out if you'd like, but uh, Tej, I believe, um, having passed the 21st birthday milestone, do you have any interest in beer or anything else when you do just want to take off the edge, kick back, and unwind from time to time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm I'm actually gluten-free, so I can't have like most beer that, that people typically have, but when I was in uh, New York City uh, a couple weeks ago at one of the restaurants we were at, they had this gluten-free lager there that you know, I was, I was really excited to try, um, and and I, I I thought it tasted really good. I think I think the the company was Redbridge that that makes the the gluten free lager, and I I really enjoyed it. And it um you know it, I thought it I thought it tasted pretty good, and and definitely needed what or got the job you know what it what it needed to do there. So so that was that was pretty cool to to have that. Nice. And when you're generally steering clear of beer and looking to, you know, stay gluten free, is there anything else that you do tend to gravitate toward? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I know. I really like seltzers uh, because of that. So like I'll I'll you know do a lot of those those basic seltzers like Truly's and, and White Claws. But, you know, that's that's usually what I drink when I uh, when I'm when I'm doing that type of stuff. Nice. Sounds good. Especially I know I've got the sun peeking through my window. It's pretty warm in here with summer approaching. A lot of those seltzers, very refreshing. So I'm sure you'll have some good company on that front. And uh, Arjun, perhaps in your future, maybe we can have you on um, after that 21st birthday and dig into this a little bit more. But before we wrap this up all together, I want to be sure to plug your guys' work so that people can know where to follow you if they're not doing so already. I'll start with a podcast, Take the Points. On Twitter, um, you can get the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. But on Twitter, if you want to follow the show's handle, it's at Take the Points with a Z at the end. 
and then the two of you, Tage at Tage FB Analytics. That's T E J F B Analytics, all one word for the Twitter handle. And then Arjun at Arjun Menon 100. I'll have links to all of these in the show notes. So it's a simple tap away for anybody in the audience who wants to follow. Guys, anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add? No, this was this was a lot of fun, Matt. I I really really appreciate you giving all those shout outs and and having us on. Um, you know, you you do a great job with with all this stuff, and you know, it was, it was you know, a really good time to to come on here and, and talk football with you. You're you're very insightful and and sharp with with a lot of your points, and you ask really good questions. So so appreciate it. Yeah, a lot of the uh, what what Tay said pretty much, and you know, hopefully when I'm 21, we can come back on and have a longer discussion about beer, but. Um, this was great and, you know, a great way to spend Father's Day just talking football with, with people I enjoy. So thanks for bringing us on, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, guys. And with more than an hour of great NFL talk driven by the two of you, I think we can more than excuse a shorter journey down the hops path this time around. So as we wrap things up, want to thank everybody also for listening to this conversation the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to take just a few seconds, leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And in fact, while you're doing that for Props and Hops, also go ahead and do the same for Take the Points. Tage and Arjun, once again, thanks for the time and insight. Congrats on launching the new podcast, and I look forward to following the journey. Props and hops, props and hops.